you know, Latin is a language dead as it can be. First it killed the Romans, now it's killing me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast for the New England Classical Journal. We are Alexandra Baradelli and Carl Quiz, and we're coming from the College of the Holy Cross with our work as research associates for the New England Classical Journal, or NECJ for short. On this episode of the podcast, we will be giving you a taste of the 50th NECJ volume. Today, we have the pleasure of introducing and chatting with Dr. Robert Fradkin about his article in the upcoming issue. This article titled Latin Conjugation, The Stem Vowel Speaks, takes a deep dive into the structure of the Latin verb learning and offers an alternative grouping for the traditional conjugations. This article has certainly piqued our interest and we hope you'll stay tuned for a unique conversation with the author himself. It is our pleasure to introduce Dr. Robert Fradkin, retired professor from the University of Maryland and Antwerp, Belgium. And we have Professor Fradkin with us right now. So. Well, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm Bob Fratkin, and I I am indeed retired from the University of Maryland. And uh, three years ago, my wife and I moved to Antwerp, Belgium, where she is from. And here we are. So I'm I'm uh, not currently involved in Latin, but um, as you see, I, I, I it hasn't left me. I had a lot of fun working on that article, and I'm just delighted that that your journal was interested in it. The first thing I'd like to do is uh, is give a shout out to two people. One to my professor of, of Russian. I'm, my degree is in Russian, actually, and I spent my, most of my career teaching Russian and my sideline, which is Hebrew. And uh, one of my first professors of Russian at Boston University 50 years ago uh, was Steve Malinsky, who is now retired from Boston University and uh, will probably not be listening to this podcast unless I tell him to. At, uh, but he's the one who's, who inspired me to go on and do Slavic linguistics. From there, I went. I spent a year in Israel and uh, did Semitic linguistics. And later in life, I discovered Latin and was sorry that I hadn't discovered it earlier. So um, uh, that's number one. So thank you, Steve. We've been in touch a little over the years. Well, more about that later. But uh, the other person is my Latin colleague at the University of Maryland, Professor Judy Hallett, who was a great inspiration to me to, to, to learn Latin in the first place. She was instrumental in getting me a job. I moved from the university uh, to high school Latin teaching, one of the, some of the best years of my life. Thank you very much. And we've been good friends ever since. So thank you, Judy. Yeah, so Carl, Carl and I are a classics major, so we've been taking Latin for a while. We took it in high school. And from our experience, we learned it the stereotypical traditional way with the four principal parts. We did a similar thing in Greek, which we could get into later. But we were interested to hear and from your emails that you didn't learn Latin until you were 50. Yeah. <laughs> and like much later, having a background in Russian, like you just said, which is incredible. So we just want to get your thoughts, articulate how you began this work, trying to find a perfect principal part coming okay. from like with so many different language backgrounds. Uh-huh. Well, first thing, there's nothing wrong with principal parts. They they do a very valuable yeah. service. But the what I found in, in learning Latin is you learn your principal parts and, you know, they look like they're scattered all over the place and you expect what looks like you know, unpredictable, chaotic irregularity. And and most students said, all right, it's Latin. You just uh, accept that. 
And of course, I come from a background where, where you look at your rules a little more. And no offense mm -hmm. to Latinists, but I didn't I, like the rules. And I thought, gee, there's got to be a better way to, to do this. And I went looking. And I took those principal parts. And I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about dimensions in a radio broadcast. But rather than stringing them out in, in one dimension, like in a, in a row, I stacked them on top of each other and, and uh, looked through that stack. And I found that really the thing that what I call the, the, the hidden message of the principal parts is what's the stem vowel doing? I mean, you know, ama has a stem vowel, ah, and ahabe has a stem vowel, a, uh, and audi has a stem vowel, e, and the, the character of the stem vowel of lege and, and gere and all those things is kind of up for grabs. But the question really of those principal parts is, is there a stem vowel in the present system? Is there a stem vowel in the perfect system? Is there a stem vowel in the supine system? And whether there is or isn't depends on how the remaining stem joins up with what's coming after it, namely the, the marker of those 10 systems, mm -hmm. those three 10 systems. Uh, so you know, I, basically this whole article does little more than, than examine Latin verb forms in terms of their consonants and vowels. That's not very sophisticated. It's not very linguistic. And, and, you know, my linguistics, my fellow linguists will look at this and say, geez, this is really, you know, what theory are you basing this on? It's like, well, I'm just looking at the facts. And the facts tell me that if there's a stem vowel and they want to join up with a, with a following tense marker, I mean, a tense, a tense mood aspect marker, does the stem end in a vowel? And does the following marker begin in a consonant? No problem. Does the stem end in a consonant? And does the following marker begin in a vowel? No problem. What if the stem ends in a consonant and the following marker begins in a consonant too? Sometimes that's not a problem, but Latin is also very fussy about consonant, about what, what consonants it allows to co-occur at that boundary between the stem and the tense marker. The real question of this whole endeavor is, who writes grammar rules mm -hmm. and what do they expect them to accomplish? And what happens when they kind of fall short and you just say, oh, well, exception. There's usually a reason for exceptions or things that we think of exceptions. And uh, if you can write a rule that covers them, I think that makes everybody happier than if it doesn't. And, you know, it makes it look less chaotic. And then you don't have to have you know, adages like, um, what's, what's the famous one? I think I quoted it somewhere. You know, Latin is a language, dead as it can be. First it killed the Romans, now it's killing yeah. me. I mean, it, it's, and it's just not true. It doesn't have, or it doesn't have to be true. Now, the, the trouble is, not everybody's used to looking at vowels and consonants this closely. Yeah. And, you know, some kids' eyes will, will glass over, and some kids will just lap this up. So really, my point is, I wanted to contribute something to a teacher's, you know, what, the, what they usually usually call a bag of tricks. It's not a trick. It's just another way to look at the facts other than how Wheelock, no, no offense to Wheelock lovers, presents things. So what, what all uh, grammar books did, did you use in your early studies? I did uh, the first two years of Latin, of high uh -huh. school Latin. That, like that little red book, that's what I used. The little red book. I don't remember the authors, but... Is that the Cambridge series? Is that um... no? It was something totally different. Oh, old school. 
<laughs> well, yeah, think about, you know, and again, you know, nothing wrong with old school, but my my beef with with grammar books, not just for Latin, for just about you know, I minute mean, I've taught you know half a dozen languages, and they they all they rely on letters and they they write their rules in terms of you know this letter changes to this letter, and it would mm-hmm. be really nice, I think, and not everybody agrees with me, if you know if you if you approach this from the term from the point of view of sound, I mean humans speak sounds, they don't speak letters. Letters represent sounds, true enough. But if we all had a better idea or a more, I mean, even just the very elementary idea of, of how sounds are constructed in, in the human mm-hmm. mouth, you know, there are, and, and then we can look at how, you know, different languages, at what sounds can go with what other sounds. And it turns mm-hmm. out languages are very fussy about this. And Latin is, is a human language. It's not just an intellectual puzzle. And I know a lot of people treat it as that. Oh, but I, I should ask you, did, did you do any oral Latin in your early study? Yeah. Um, we used uh, Hans Orberg's Lingua Latina per se illustrata, ah, yeah. which is focusing on the natural method of, of reading and learning things piecemeal. Good and as part of that, I was lucky that my magistri um, were very interested in having us speak Latin aloud as we're learning and as like various assignments and things like that. Great. Yeah. Have you ever done any of the uh, 10-day super camps? The, uh, I haven't, but I've, I've come close to it a couple times. I might in the future. Oh, do it. You'll, you'll, have, you'll never have so much fun. I did a, I did a couple with uh, Tunberg and Berard. Tunberg at uh, Kentucky. Stephanus Berard at uh, University of Washington. I mean, he's actually at, a, at the community college on the other side of the Cascade Mountains, but um, he held this at at uh, at Seattle and uh, Dickinson. So that's probably sh- closer in shooting distance to you from you're in Worcester, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm I'm from Fall River, so I that's my old stomping grounds. I was just gonna say I think it's hard for some students who either have to be take Latin as a requirement to understand that people can speak Latin and do it orally, mm-hmm. like how we. Carl used lingua latina. My teacher in high school, we did spoken Latin in school. Some people I know, like coming from the college, everyone's Latin background is so different. Yeah. And so how, maybe in college, at the college level, when you have so many different backgrounds or no background at all, how would you approach a student with this type of system? If you want to maybe start from scratch or start from the beginning, learning this system, trying to get formal rules about the language. What do you do with any language? I mean, this is, yeah. you know, I mean, if, uh, I mean, because the, the assumption with Latin is you have to learn the rules, or, or, yeah, you have to learn the rules first, and then you can start applying them. And mm-hmm. for the last, you know, I mean, in teaching of modern languages, which is mostly what I've done, you start right away using language. So, you know, with props, with toys, with actions, uh, the, the, you know, the technique called TPR, total physical response. Mm-hmm where you just do things and, and name them. And then later, when you actually have a vocabulary, then you can look at, at a, you know, then you can start to ask, can I summarize this in a rule? Mm-hmm. And that's where rules come from. And they, they have to come from actual language. And we have to assume that uh, people who write grammar books have, you know, the whole language in mind mm-hmm. and write a rule to, to cover it. They might not, might not all have techniques 
to look beyond the letters. And that's essentially what I've done is look through the letters. What is like, what are they trying to tell us? You know, I mean, it's just too bad that you have to do two or three years of classroom Latin before you have the opportunity to go to a, an intensive camp like, uh, like the ones we've mentioned. But the fact that they're there and the fact that there are people there who can speak Latin fluently with fun, with humor, with jokes, any time of the day or night, any subject at all. <laughs> it's really amazing. I mean, if you have exposure to that kind of stuff, then it's not so much a question of learning your principal parts as just recalling them, because I've seen them before. And then, you know, yeah. and, they've, and they've done me good. Uh, you know, they're, they're the result of learning and not the goal of learning. My system, I mean, I developed a system um, and it was based on you know, the idea came from a Russian system that, well, that Professor Malinsky, who I uh, mentioned earlier, um, was working on, actually. There's a, it, it was several decades earlier that a famous linguist developed a very abstract system that accounted for all of Russian, what looked like Russian craziness also. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the couple of decades, his students developed classroom ways to bring this to the classroom. Uh, and, and Malinsky was, was one of the, the most successful ones. Uh, that gave me the idea that it's also possible to do this for Latin. Not, I mean, it's not the same system, but they are, I mean, Russian and Latin are after all Indo-European cousins. So it's not so crazy that they should uh, work on similar principles, even though they're widely separated by geography and time and actually hold different branches of Indo-European. But a lot of the same principles apply. And what the Russian formulations did was instead of, you know, lots and lots of Russian forms for a verb to um, create, and, it's, and it is created, to create a single form uh, with a few combining, combining rules that said when this kind of stem hits this kind of ending, various things happen at that boundary. This is why I, I you know, my whole uh, metaphor in, in my paper is, is borders. I made it borders so it was more real world, so that you had to have a passport and a visa, and, you know. That's uh, a great idea. <laughs> but I, it's just a metaphor that some people like. Uh, other, other journals said, well, come on, this is ridiculous. No offense to them. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the earlier versions of this, I actually, I did create a single stem for a Latin verb with all kinds of, diacritic marks and uh, you know, unfamiliar looking things that did not meet with anybody's approval. And I thought, well, let's use what we got. And, and the most informative form or the most informative tense system for uh, of the three tense systems of, of Latin is the present system. It just so mm -hmm. happens that the infinitive has a long tradition of representing the present system. So, okay, use it. I could just as well use the second singular or the first plural or the or the imperfect or or anything because they're all that stem meeting a whole bunch of tense yeah. markers for that system. But okay, so the infinitive uh, you know steps forward and says, "Everybody knows me. Use me." And rather than focus on the stem vowel, so that you know amare is the first conjugation and habere is the second conjugation and uh, you know, audire is the first is the fourth conjugation, all long stem vowels, and the third conjugation weirdly has a, a short stem vowel. It makes all kinds of trouble. All those conjugations have lots of different variations, but we all call them first conjugation. You know, and they all have this. But, but and what that means is they all have the same kind of present system. 
You know, so yeah. amare and wetare and secare all have the same kind of present system, but they all have different ideas about what to do with the supine and the perfect. And the perfect. And you know, and you can say, oh well, you know, wetare. That's you know, wetui wetitus. That's just weird. Or it's mm -hmm. you know, it it changes allegiance and becomes like habere. But if you do that, then you have you know, you know, amare, wetare, secare, yuare. Uh, these are all different strategies, and then you, so do you say, well, there's really four first conjugations, and then you look at all, at, at second, and third, and fourth, and they all have different present systems, but they all seem to, to uh, mix and match and recombine in the perfect and the, and the supine systems, uh, so uh, rather than use only the, I mean, the, the conjugation numbers really only account for the present system and leave the rest to memorize your principal parts. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you look at the, the three systems as a set, then I just numbered the sets. So, mm -hmm. you know, and so it turns out amare and delere and, and, uh, and audire all have in common the same kind of supine and the same kind of, of uh, perfect and differ really only in detail in the in the present system, uh, so mm -hmm. that's type one. I call them profiles. Yeah. You know? I I can't call it conjugations because everybody okay. has a different it's idea. Confusing, what <laughs> yeah, I mean it's too entrenched. So I just yeah. came up with a new term and I called it inflectional profile. You can call it inflectional complexion if you want a little poetry. But uh, <laughs> uh, and you know and anybody who works with this might come up with a different name or you know I'm not married to these particular things, but you know I just want this idea to get out that there are other ways to organize things so that you know a verb is a family of forms and not just uh, you know one the one thing that's stable and predictable and the rest is not predictable yeah uh so you know profile one is amare delere audire all with long stem vowel mm -hmm. and you know but but all with the same kind of perfect and, and supine it turns out that habere is really the only kind of second uh, of profile two with a couple of strays like wetare. And so wetare turns out to be kind of a, not a stepchild, but, um, but, they, but they share a supine system and a perfect system, even mm -hmm. though their, their present systems are a little different from each other only because of the stem vowel. So you, yeah. you know, you'd say, ah, well, I have to know how the stem vowel ah works and the stem vowel a works, but once I do that, I can see it. I can see that these verbs, you know, pretty much half of what we call the second conjugation, are habere types, with a few others. But you know, they share properties, so call them something common. Profile three is um, what happens when the stem vowel participates, or when there is a when there is a stem vowel in the present system, mm -hmm. and none in the supine system or the perfect system. And that's where you get the possibility that the stem will end in a consonant. The marker, so you know, the t of the supine, the s of the perfect will, will begin in a consonant. And that consonant meeting is really the only place you get trouble. Mm -hmm. So calling these things profile three tells me that all the things where you might get you know, a consonant, consonant boundary, that's where I just have to learn what 
consonants Latin allows to go together. Ps and pt are no problem. So you get, you know, um, you know, sectus and uh, fourth uh, fourth conjugations like sipsi, and you know, those are no problem. Where do you get a problem if the stem ends in a d or a t, and the following marker begins in or consists entirely of a t or a d? There are no does, only t. So really, the con the combination t t always becomes s s. The combination t s also becomes s s. So you have things like things like you know ridere. You get uh, you know you get a stem. You know the, if the stem vowel does does not participate in the supine, then what you get is the stem read, and the, the marker beginning t and d t. If you go through a couple of stages, I should ask you also: Did you do any linguistics in your study? Does that is that included somewhere? General linguistics, you know, like how human languages work. A little bit, but most okay. mostly at the level of learning grammar rules. Okay. Ah, syntax rules, I bet. Yeah. 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 Um, I wish there were a, a course in in beginning linguistics for language teachers. Most courses in begin in beginning linguistics don't really satisfy the needs of of language teachers. But you know, does a voiced consonant, does a voiced consonant, as a voiceless consonant. Latin says, if I'm going to have two consonants together, they'd better both be voiced or both be voiceless. So if t is the marker, it says to the consonant before it, namely the d of the stem, you'd better become a t, uh, at least theoretically. Mm -hmm. And then what am I left with? T, t, guaranteed, t, t becomes s, s. It never doesn't. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, all the, all the textbooks say this at some point. But they usually they couch it as a spelling rule. If you know, do to respell as s, without saying, do you can you do that without knowing that a voice consonant becomes voiceless before another voiceless consonant, and then both of those voiceless stops become voiceless fricative? That's less than half a dozen terms that you need. Yeah, I've given papers on this at at conferences and gotten. Reactions verging on the hostile, you know. The, uh, <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, you linguist, you. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing what the language is telling me. It's like, you know, don't, don't kill the messenger. Um, <laughs> it seems like it would be easier to account for all the exceptions in Latin, like the second, like when you learn first conjugation. I remember, I was like, oh, amare. Maui and Macho, it's like, oh, it's like a pattern. And then when I started to learn, I was like, how am I supposed to memorize all of these? Of course, with practice, but trying to put them in the profiles, inflectional profiles, like you were saying, seems like it would be a benefit for a Latin student. Um, well, the, the, the problem in is, conjunction with the conjugations we typically learn. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with, you know, with learning the facts without a yeah, rule, of course. just so you get familiar yeah. with them. And then when you have enough uh, experience you can look back and say ah there's a pattern yeah, you know, yeah. which is what you just yeah. said you know and you know different people learn differently some people need the rule first some people you know just yeah. like don't tell me the rule just make me do it and then you can you know look back and reflect and say you know do i want to organize this in a different way uh that that helps me or do i not care and that's up yeah. to the individual learner but if you don't know that there's a way to do this you know, and you yeah. need, and you're the kind of learner who needs it, 
you're up a creek. So I'm just trying mm -hmm. to give teachers another way to do what they need to do for in, in a way that may help some students, even if it doesn't help others. Uh, and which, I mean, that's true of just about anything in, 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 uh, in education. Not everybody responds to the same stuff. Mm. What, the, the, the thing that makes Latin hard is not the forms, is not the principal parts, is not even the rules about combining a stem and, an, and, a, and, a, and a marker. Mm. Notice I haven't mentioned endings. Endings come after the markers. And it's like, who cares? They're not even interesting. But, but so much <laughs> of, of beginning instruction is focused on the endings, the endings, the endings. Uh, yeah. which is why I took great pains in, in, the, in the paper to say, no, every Latin ver every, virtually every Latin verb form has three, to me, clear parts, the stem and the tense marker and the ending. I, most books say this at some point, but then yeah. they don't follow through for one real, one real not obvious reason. And that is some of those markers, some of those tense markers are zero. And that Imagine telling a student there's a test tense marker that's a zero. Right. <laughs> right. Now, of course, that's just a fancy way of saying, you know, to form the imperfect, take ama plus ba plus endings. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, and, you know, to form the imperfect subjunctive, take ama plus re and the same endings. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I think we learned originally the imperfect endings were, you know, bombas, bat, bombos, batis imperfect subjunctive endings were read and it's like separate them so they're separate things and but if if the marker is if the tense marker is zero that is if if the stem flows straight into the ending then is you know zero is a construct of course but but it's yeah. a very useful one and the reason that that all these present tenses are present systems well yeah present indicatives specifically look so different from each other is that the present tense yeah, the present indicative marker is zero. And that mm -hmm. has all kinds of consequences. One of the perfect endings is zero. The imperative ending is zero. And you know, that's that's an abstraction. Some people object that it's that it's a you know a linguistic fiction, but it's a handy one. So I go for it. And it's yeah, uh, Carl, you wanted to say something. I was just going to say, I think hearing you speak about this as aloud, speaking this aloud as about sounds is something that's very helpful. Oh, because thank you. Hallelujah. As I was going through reading your article for the first time, there's linguistic technical vocabulary that I'm comfortable reading, but it's not a level that I'm used to thinking about language at. Mm -hmm. uh, but hearing you walk us through Ridere moments ago, becoming Reedtus on its way to Resus, which is what we get at the actual Latin. Uh -huh. It's positively illuminating. Oh, wow. Um, thanks. Um, <laughs> no, because I mean, every most teachers that I that I know just say, oh, well, it's an exception. I, I've even heard somebody say, and I I don't remember who, uh, and if if they're listening, they'll probably say, oh, did I say that? Um, <laughs> to explain that t, when t becomes s, it moves one letter to the to the left. That's clever. It's like explaining, wow. you know, uh, roticism, you know, ghetto, uh, ghetto guessy to say, oh, R moves one letter to the right. That's the let. I mean, that's that's tr that's cute. That's tricky, and it, it's based on absolute the ac the accident of alphabetical order. Uh, I used to give a course on the origin of the alphabet, and that's uh, there is no reason for the alphabetical order that anybody has ever figured out. 
But anyway, yeah, so that's, I mean, to explain things in terms of letters divorces it from language, one of the, which is one of the reasons why Latin has the reputation of being dead or why people are so hesitant to speak it when, you know, you can't avoid it in any other language that you learn. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, and the fact that, you know, that t-t becomes s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-
No. Carl, have you done German or Russian or anything like that? I have done, aside from Latin and ancient Greek, I have done Italian, modern Greek, and I've done a semester of German. Oh, okay. So, you know, I'm, did your German uh, instructor ever say German words cannot end in a voiced consonant? They will always defer to their voiceless pair. You know, this is why you say, and well, this is why, why German accent sounds like it sounds like in English. You, you know, what's a good example? Um, I, uh, let me say, I dropped my book, voiceless, and it fell on the ground. And not, you know, because the Germans can't say ground ending in a voice consonant, they have to devoice that consonant. So do becomes to. Regular is apple pie. Uh, Russian does it too. Dutch does it too. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm living a pretty much Dutch life now. So uh, I'm, I'm listening for these things all over the place. And it's, it's just any open any phonetics textbook, you'll get this on like page one. And it's useful for any other language you do. And Hebrew has a thing, doesn't, it doesn't do voiced voiceless the same way, but it has a very consistent relationship between the stop and the fricative. I mean, b is the stop, or you know, b p k are stops, and you know, v f ch are their equivalent fricatives. And you know, they're spelled with the same letter. And you know, you kind of have to know by the, the structure rules when when that letter is a b and when it's a when it's a, a v when it's a p when it's a f when it's a k when it's a ch so that's you know a different kind of relationship but there again in the latin alphabet and in the hebrew well yeah in the latin alphabet those letters are scattered all over so you don't see that there's a relationship so i it's not that i'm advocating scrapping alphabetical order it's handy in its way but it would be nice yeah. if we had an alternative order uh, like, you know, phonetic order, depending on the language, so that b and p do come together, and d and t do come together, and g and k do come together. Seems uh, like another project. Funny you should mention that. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I should say, the, the article that you're publishing is a shorter version of a monster version that came out in, te in the Teaching Classical Languages online journal. Uh, where basically I did all that stuff. So that's like, it's a mini course in what Latin teachers need or what's useful for Latin teachers in terms of teaching Latin and sounds. This is how you like gave it to other teachers? Well, I've, I've tried this with my high school students and it was just, some loved it. The, well, the whopping minority loved it. And uh, the most were, it's like, they were of the of the just tell me what it is school yeah and and, and that's okay I'll, I'll be glad to tell you and then later after school i'll say hey come to office come to latin club come to office hour we can talk about this more and some will get excited and come and some yeah. will stay far away apropos spoken latin i uh was i had the privilege of starting a latin program in, in a high school in, in maryland as the only Latin teacher. So nobody was looking mm -hmm. over my shoulder, nobody else in the school knew Latin, and I could do whatever I wanted. And, I, and my first days of Latin, we didn't open a book. We did TPR. So, you know, like I would, no, I would say, I'm gonna do something really weird. I'm gonna tell myself to do something and then do it. So I told myself, you know, surge, and I stood up. 
And then I said, concede. And I sat down. I did this a bunch of times and then let a couple of other people try it. You know, we didn't need English. It was clear what, mm -hmm. you know, what, what picture of the world Surge would paint and what picture Conside would paint. And then you, you know, expand from there. So we did a whole bunch of, you know, in, you know, intransitive verbs. I think we did, so we did Surge Conside, Surge again, Sali, you know, so I jumped. And they did too, and they thought that was really weird. They said, what is this guy about? Uh, so we had a vocabulary of intransitives. I had a whole trunk of toys, uh, you know, a ball, a sheep, um, an apple, you know, a, a wonder, wonderfully constructed wooden fruit, so it didn't go bad. You know, various animals, household things, you know, and we just named them. And then what was the next step after that? You know, malum, you know, we had a malum. I said, malum sume, and I took the, the thing. And of course, I was very careful to choose the neuters first. So we had to have, um, in that bag of tricks, there had to be a malum, a bakulum. They loved the bakulum. I forget what else, an oum, you know, enough neuters so that we could, we could operate on them. They could get the idea that there's such a thing as a, I couldn't use the term direct object because nobody knew it. But they didn't need it because they'd say, ah, if I operate on this, then that's, that's a conceptual thing. And then when there were masculines and feminines, then you could say, ah, you notice this? Uh, liber, uh, eke liber, librum sume. Oh, what happened to liber? You know, so, I mean, it's total intuitive. It's what you learn when you go traveling abroad in a place where you don't speak the language and you listen enough. Uh, you you know, and you notice that you know either endings change if you if you're speaking Irish, the beginnings will change, and you know that that was our, those were our grammar rules. And then later you can stick traditional labels on them, you know, and say yeah, the nominative is the subject. It's when you do you know it's when it when it's sitting on the table. Uh, you know, librum is when you do something to it. Libro is when it's a a location. And um, I like that approach. You learn, you're like, like leading through example, then you're learning this stuff. The yeah, actually, yeah, and that, that's what that's what you do. I mean, that's what's called the communicative method. It's been mm -hmm. the way to go in, in modern language teaching for oh, gee, I think about half a century. And, and it's why Latin, I'm sorry, still has the reputation of being something for the elite, uh, something to mm -hmm. analyze, something to be a puzzle. And that's partly true because you don't have, you know, there's no place you can go and practice your Latin except one of these, you know, uh, seven day camps. Yeah. And, you know, there's no country where you can go to, not even the Vatican. You know, people in the Vatican know their Latin, but I'm, uh, it's, you know, they, I think, don't speak it to themselves. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean. Yeah. No, I mean, this was a language spoken by millions of people over a vast area for hundreds and hundreds of years. Why should we keep it on the on the pages on the printed page? Take it off the printed page. I'm curious, how has your experience of learning Latin yourself been compared to learning the other languages that you know? Um, well, as I say, I it's amazing to me that I got to the age of 50 without having had this. It's like all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you could now walk through an art museum. And, and see all the scenes and see all the all the characters and all the you know and all the all the references in literature it's just you know it's it's so pervasive um mm -hmm. and i began to appreciate that 
Oh, have you, by the way, seen the Stephen Fry books of uh, of the Greek myths? He published three, you know, the, the British um, comedian. Um, he played Jeeves on the Bertie and Jeeves uh, series. Uh, very funny guy and very literate. Uh, and he did classics. And he wrote, he published recently three volumes of all the all the myths in in a in a retelling, uh, you know, kind of like you know, it's not like a new Ovid, but he has a volume of the uh, the the pre-human, you know, so the gods, the heroes, and and a whole volume on Troy. Uh, beautifully written. Uh, I read on audio, so he uh, and he he performed the audio, so it was really uh, a multi-pronged performance. Um, and uh, and then you read Ovid and you say, but these guys are both just amazing. So yeah, I mean that's just you know, apropos of of bringing things, bringing old things to life. And and now mm -hmm. I can appreciate them because I have all this background as a Latinist. I'm really only you know a middle level Latinist. I'm not you know, but uh, but by going to these to these camps, I came out speaking you know really you know re reasonably nicely. Uh, and then I had all the more appreciation for these guys who are just comfortable fluent on mm -hmm. any topic under the sun for me as as uh it has you know i brought to it the things that i learned from other language languages and now i'm also putting back into those languages what i've learned from latin so you yeah. know for me it's mm -hmm. just all one big round fun thing mm -hmm. now my wife and i are, are taking turkish here in antwerp and uh, we've been to turkey uh wanted to go back we're, we're going in fact in a couple of weeks we couldn't talk to anybody then, you know, on the first trip, except people who spoke English. And uh, and now we're going back, hoping we can actually talk to somebody. Uh, and you know, in Turkish is another whole language family, but you know, you see a lot of the same kinds of of issues coming back again and again. I mean, this is Antwerp, where there's a large Orthodox Jewish community, and the university offers Yiddish, which I never uh -huh. studied. Um, and I heard growing up as a kid in in, uh, in Boston area, but I never studied except for the songs I learned from my mother. I'm also a guitarist, folk singer type. What can't you do? <laughs> Ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> what a hoot. Uh, lots of things. No, I mean, you know, it's all, you know, music and languages. Beyond that, oh, yeah, okay, I can cook. But, you know, I, I have, I got a language thing somewhere. I don't remember where. I, I, nobody else in my family does this. But, um, uh, you know, there's, I've never met a language I don't like. I started, you know, with all the Ukraine tragedy, I, I started learning Ukrainian on Duolingo, which, you know, it's, it's an okay program for some things, but it's, it's the next closest thing to Russian, but not Russian. You know, that's uh, mm -hmm. it's just, it's different enough. It's like maybe, it's as different as maybe Spanish and Italian. You know, there's a lot you'd recognize, you know, but you can't substitute one for the other. Um, mm -hmm. German and Dutch, maybe. But so, yeah, so to answer your question, to come all the way back to answer your question, learning Latin late in life was a great boon. I, I would, would know, I'm, I'm so glad I did it and I ain't stopping here. So it's, yeah. <laughs> did I just say ain't on national radio? Uh <laughs> not, not, nothing wrong with ain't it's got a long pedigree it, you know it goes back to old english it's achieved substandard status and that's just too bad it's it's really handy yeah uh, 
So yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you can probably hear sort of the overarching theme is listen to language, ask yourself what it's trying to tell you, and don't and don't be judgmental of it. I mean, society is always judgmental of it. You can't avoid that. You always have you know good language, bad language, standard, substandard. Uh, you know, the, the group that speaks like that. Oh my goodness, I don't want to sound like them. With, uh, and and, and, and the, the literary that, and the vulgar. Exactly, and the group that you want to sound. Like. You know, so that there are judgments, you can't avoid them, and it's part of the territory. But you can, you know, even if, if there's a variety of, of language that is considered wrong, listen to it, because it's got mm -hmm. its own system, it's got its structure, maybe you can learn something from that structure. Mm -hmm. You know, things like, you know, in the mountain, you don't get this probably much in Massachusetts, but oh, wait, are you, are you from Massachusetts, both of you? I'm from Texas. Ah, okay, that's good. And uh, Alexandra, where are you from? I'm from New York, so uh, close you, enough. <laughs> then you probably have heard stuff like, "Where, where's that at? Where, where do you live at?" I live in Brooklyn, in the city, and I hear. I mean, I have a lot of. They have their own language. Oh yeah. English. Oh, I mean, New York is so colorful, but I mean, well, they're all colorful. But I mean, the, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the 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 structure. You know, where's that at? Uh, is considered, oh. it's considered wrong. Too bad. I mean, all it does is focus on static location as opposed yeah. to where you're going to. Um, that just focuses on destination. Yep. Gee, does oh, that's where so Ubi is where at and quo is where to. Uh, you know, isn't it? Lad? That just means you know, there's a dialect, there's a variety of English that's as fussy about expressing location versus destination as Latin was, as Russian is, as German is, as Hebrew is actually. Um, but that's discounted in standard English in favor of just use where and let the verb tell you if it's a, if it's a static location. You know, where are you sitting? Where do you live? Where do you study? Those are, those are static things. Those happen in one place. That is, where are you going? That's a destination. Okay, so yeah. I get the same information, but I have to rely on the verb only for that instead of having, mm -hmm. you know, where at and where to uh, supporting that, you know, so I get the same information twice. So the system is clear. The judgment of that system is also clear. Yeah, got to uh, deal with both of those things. When yeah, so, you know, if I get a kid that says, you know, where at and where to, I'm not going to correct them, but I will say yeah. that's fine in circumstance X and Y and Z, but, you know, if you're writing a paper or you're giving a speech, drop the at, drop the two. Yeah. And they'll say, what's, what? You don't, you don't like the way I speak? What's the matter with you? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to deal so, with that. Uh, yeah, and you'll get, you'll get pushback on that too. And uh, so, yeah, I think we've ranged a little away. No, no, we haven't ranged away from Latin. We've, we've tied it into Latin. Who uh, knew? I didn't realize how many windows we would open it's been a great conversation learning i'll be open to the languages i encounter in the future to learn something from them in english and latin and greek and other languages just learn how to approach the language with other languages uh, yeah or even just look at what pairs with what in you in in any mm -hmm. single language you know yeah. how much information do you get how many times do you get it? You know, it's like, where are you sitting? 
only you know, only sitting gives you the the location information. But if you say where are you sitting at, that's two of the same information. Is is that good or bad? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but but it's worth observing, and and you can observe it in any single language. You can do it by comparison of varieties of the same language. You know. Um, and and across languages that are you know related to each other and you can you know so it's like similar ideas but different different twists on it and then you can look at languages that are totally unrelated you know i mean yeah. i i find you know and i picked up on stuff it's in i i got this in bits and pieces you know there's somebody in some class who said something that that echoed with something else that somebody in some other class said and you know, there's no one. I mean, a, a course in you know languages of the world for language teachers would be a great thing to do. I don't know of anybody that does it. Anything else? No, that was no, awesome. No topic yeah, that, was, <laughs> that was a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so really? much. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, I, I I'm just floored that that you were even interested and. In, uh, if you're not careful, I'll, I'll, I'll submit some other article to the journal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure the people listening right now are really grateful for you coming on here and explaining your article and your experience. And I hope everyone, if you haven't read the article already, please read it wow. uh, to put our conversation in perspective with his written well, and, work. And uh, and audience, I'm I'm not paying them for this. This is not the... This is, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I've, I've never had this kind of opportunity before. And um, I'm, I'm just, uh, I mean, my, you know, my, I, I just come back to my basic message of look at your language, let it speak to you. Uh, oh, my God, I just realized I'm paraphrasing my, prof my professor in graduate school, who this week, 20 years ago, died. Uh, so it's kind of an, an un, un, he was old but um, an unconscious homage to him. I'll name him, he's, he's Cornelius van Schoenefeld. Uh, you wouldn't have heard of him, but unless you do Slavic stuff, brilliant guy. I guess that's the third person I need to shout out to. So Malinsky, Hallett, van Schoenefeld, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Next Day Podcast. We would like to thank Dr. Fradkin once again for joining us for this wonderful conversation about the Latin vowel. We hope you all learned something new about the Latin language and how you might approach it now. We would also like to thank Mary McLeod and the Multimedia Resource Center at the College of the Holy Cross for their resources and guidance. In addition, we are grateful to the J.D. Power Center for providing the funding to make this project possible. The music we use is entitled Take Me Higher by Jazar from freemusicarchive.com and is licensed under an Attribution 4.0 international license. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the 50th volume of NECJ.